Welcome to episode 44 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and I'm joined as always by my co-host James Turlings. James, are you ready to talk about the much vaunted Xbox classic Fire Kingdoms The Crusades? Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) I've had ongoing issues over this past two weeks remembering the fucking name of this game because the name of this game that we're playing is kingdom under fire the crusaders but every time i try and tell someone it it's a different name it's the crusader kings under fire or kingdom under the crusaders fire kingdom and it's been a struggle for me james i don't know if you've had this issue or if i'm just uh no i think you're just retarded (laughs) i mean it's entirely possible i i'm just saying five five words in a name far too many this is a game that uh that came from a friend of james's they recommended it it's a rather obscure title. Uh, it was first released in 2004 for the Xbox, and it's a sequel to an RTS called Kingdom Under Fire, A War of Heroes. It's made by a Korean studio called Fantagram, who, as far as I can tell, haven't really made anything else of note and have kind of faded into the ether. The original game was a straight RTS, but which is, you know, simple enough to comprehend. This game is not a simple RTS. It has a lot going on. But I guess in broad terms, you'd call it an action brawler tactics RTS RPG, you know, which doesn't really tell much. So we'll uh, we'll definitely spend some time just trying to explain exactly what this game is and how it functions. Uh, but before we do, we are, of course, the Retrospectors podcast. For those who've never listened to an episode, each and every fortnight, James and I play a classic game of the past or, you know, a niche revered title by some at the very least. <laughs> and we try to determine if that title has truly stood the test of time and is worth playing today. We're not really interested in how good these games were at the time in which they were released. We just want to know, should you, you know, download and play this game today? Um, so it's just a modern retrospective of these games. Uh, it's particularly relevant because in 2020, uh, just a few months ago really, uh, this game got a PC port and that's how we played it. It doesn't have any significant gameplay changes. It's mainly you can physically play it on a PC um, and you know it's at higher resolution and you know has a slightly higher frame rate. Um, theoretically, it has mouse and keyboard support. Everything I read said that the mouse and keyboard support was a joke and you shouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. So I just played on a controller. Yeah, I think a controller is definitely the way to go. I briefly tried to use the mouse and keyboard, but it's uh, you know painfully obvious that this game was designed for console and as such, you know, playing the original way is the best way to do so. For this game to work with a mouse and keyboard, it would need a very radical change to the way in which the game was presented to you. Um, as it is, the controller is way is definitely what you should use if you get this game. So yeah, I guess firstly, James, before we get into the meat of the episode, did you have any issues with this game? Um, for me, at least, I had like two crashes throughout my like 20, 25 hour playtime. 
Um, I don't know if you had any issues while you played. No, nothing. Um, occasionally, when I opened up the game, the controller would not work um, with the game. Um, however, after looking online, I discovered that this was actually a problem with Windows 10 rather than with the game itself. But uh, other than that, it ran perfectly for me the entire time. I should also clarify to everyone in the interest of honesty, unlike, uh, unlike James, I didn't actually finish this game. It was much, much longer than the playtime we saw on How Long to Beat. Yeah, when I picked this game, I uh, saw it took. Uh, I saw online that it only took about eleven hours. Apparently, that is total bullshit. It's much closer to something like twenty twenty-five if you do the entire thing. So there is four campaigns within this, and I think you finished three out of the four, while whilst Correct. I finished. Um, the entire game myself but it was a, a bit of a rush near the end yeah so so i finished three of the four campaigns from what james has told me in brief it seems like that'll give me most of the gameplay experience um although i did miss out on some of the intricacies of the story which i've quickly tried to research in the interest of discussion but you know full disclosure i only played three of the four campaigns so i don't have a entire picture so i just thought i would say that before we get into the discussion so with that out of the way do we want to move on to a brief story overview and then we can uh try our best at explaining how the fuck this game plays it's a uh, it's not going to be easy yeah so in a in a non-spoilery way um the broad story tro strokes are that you take the role of a commander of all these various uh factions that are warring against one another you might think with a name uh, like the Crusaders that this is, you know, military history, but it is military fantasy. Uh, the Crusade is a crusade against a dark and evil force. You know, there are dark elves and orcs and demons and liches and ghouls. Um, there's even giant scorpions. So you take control of, um, of a different faction, a different kingdom um, over the course of the four campaigns. And basically, these factions are at one another's throat, while there is kind of a secret conspiracy or something mysterious happening, running underneath. There's some weird manipulations and machinations going on in the background that only very slowly unveil themselves over the course of the four campaigns. Yeah, it's one of those stories that kind of you need to play all four in order to get the full picture. They generally take place, you know, in an, you know a similar time frame with them. Um, when you start the game, you have two of the four campaigns available to you to begin with, the easy ones, um, and they kind of form, you know, the first half of the timeline and they kind of overlap, whereas the second two that you unlock after beating the first two, they kind of begin near the tail end of the first two stories and you kind of get the full picture by going through all four. Yeah, so um, we'll get into a full story discussion later because I think there are some interesting things to talk about there. But for now, that's all you really need to know. And even like for half of your playtime, that's most of what you get. So um, that's all you need to know. And we'll get into spoilers later on. Now, what the hell is this game? <laughs> how, how, do we, how do we start by talking about it? So I've thought about this, and I think the best way that I can describe this game in, you know, a brief summary is that this is a real-time strategy for console where 
Upon your units coming into battle with an enemy troop, um, it zooms in on the troop and you start playing it as a melee brawler similar to maybe something like Dynasty Warriors where there's lots of enemies on screen at once and you've got a character who you know, has some fairly mashy attacks that sweep through a lot of units at once and then once you've beaten the current skirmish it zooms back out and you can resume you know, RTS command of the units. The thing I really want to hone in on is that it's not an RTS viewpoint in the traditional sense where you have like this top-down view of a battlefield and you can select units individually on the map and move them around. The default way that you control your troops, and there is another way, but the default way you control your, your troops is that you'll be in a third-person perspective sitting like up in the air behind your squad. So you have a fairly restrictive view of the battlefield from that perspective. You can also command your troops through the mini-map, but you can only control one troop at a time. So you control your troop of archers, you can issue a command to them on the mini-map by holding down R1, or you can physically move them on the screen. But then if you want to issue a command to a different unit, you need to physically switch that unit by pressing R1, and then you'll go to the third-person perspective behind that unit. Yeah, so the game kind of starts off a little gently because, uh, you know, not, there are not a lot of games like this out in the world, so it, uh, you know, rightfully expects you to have no idea what you're doing. So the game starts gently off, you know, you only have control of one or two squads to begin with, and you're just issuing commands, you know, go to this point across the map. Um, fight this troop and then it goes into the battle you know and these these transition seamlessly and if you're in battle with another squad you can still change to um, another squad instantly and they'll continue fighting on their own mm. so um, you kind of like are swapping constantly between this like you know battlefield commander moving troops around the map and taking part in these you know uh, real-time action game battles where you use your commander as your player character um, and, you know, each of the four hero characters that you play through the different campaigns, uh, each has their own, you know, move set and attack strings and combos that they can do that you have to kind of learn as you play the game. Yeah, so um, you'll have, there's a wide variety of unit types. You have um, mortar units that rain down fire from afar, archers who snipe things with bow and arrows. You've got cavalry, which are very mobile and they run... You know, they move very quickly and they can rout enemy forces, but they're weak to spearmen if you've got a defensive spearman unit. Then you've got all kinds of special units that you upgrade over the course of the game, paladins and scorpions and um, sappers. And it's a fairly, uh, there's a fair bit of diversity on, um, on show here. It's not just like infantry, spearmen, cavalry, go. There's there's probably eight to ten unit types on each side with some overlap. Yeah, with some overlap. Like the, but there is a fair bit of difference. For example, the um, the human factions cavalry units are much different to the cavalry mm. um, of the you know the dark elf and orc forces. And in general, this game has a um, it's got an upgrading system where between missions you get a bit of gold and experience that you can distribute um, amongst different bits of your units, and we'll get into more detail about that later. But um, what I think that in this game it's notable that strategy is much more important than raw stats. 
Um, for example, Patrick mentioned that there's a spear unit and there's a cavalry unit. Spear units are extremely powerful against cavalry, and you know, no matter what the stats are, really, the cavalry forces are going to get decimated if they charge through a you know a defensive line of spearmen. Um, ultimately, strategy does pay off here. I think um I think it might be a good idea to try and talk you guys through like a typical mission to to give you an idea of like what what goes on when you play this game. So you'll be um you'll be at your base and you'll um upgrade your units assign experience you know they can learn spells you this can... is outside of the mission yes, right this is outside of the mission this is in the camp pre-mission um you uh and you can buy armor and equipment for your hero unit and um and your squad then you go to the deployment screen uh early on in the missions it will lock the units that you can take but the further you go through the more freedom you have in, in selecting which units to bring you can usually bring four maximum and probably three is the more common number of units that you can bring on a mission so it ends up being a fairly it's an extremely important strategic decision what units you bring on which mission. You'll load into the mission, you'll be given um, some kind of objective, and you only ever really have one objective at once. It might be a search and destroy mission, it might be an escort mission. Um, you even have these weird stealth missions where you need to isolate enemy forces one by one by using scouts to find them. Um, you load in your troops and you send them into battle. Uh, you get into little minor brawls, uh, you try and put out fires you need to keep maneuvering your troops so they're advantaged. If they're, if they're attacking your archers who are bad in melee, you need to retreat your archers. Uh, you use your mortars to create a uh, range. You can use your sappers to set up traps to lure enemies into. Um, you keep healing your troops, etc., etc. And over the course of, you know, 30 to 45 minutes usually for a mission, they can be pretty long, um, you'll hopefully eventually achieve victory. And then with the gold and um, spoils and everything, you can upgrade your troops again and continue the uh, the, the cycle. Yeah, so, you know, the, there's actually a lot of systems at work at once here. And I think something that stops it from becoming a bit too overwhelming for the player is that each system on its own, you know, doesn't have the tactical depth that it would if it was in a game, you know, solely focused around that thing, right? So the, the 3D brawling sections aren't as focused as something like, you know, Devil May Cry. There aren't as many combos or enemies to fight. And the real-time strategy sections aren't as demanding um, as something like, you know, a full-on RTS game, maybe like Red Alert 2, which we played previously. Just just on that briefly, it might be more briefly, more accurate to describe them as like real-time tactical strategy they tend to be, just to give you guys an idea, they tend to be much smaller in scope. You're not fighting 10 units against 10 units like over the entire map. It tends to be three to four units kind of close to one another maneuvering around three to four. Yeah, um, I mean, in the later missions, you get swarmed by a lot of units. You know, you can have your three dudes against maybe 10 yes. or 20, but in general these engagements are much smaller and you're not really you know fighting over resources or strategic areas like you would be in other rts more just trying to like maximize or minimize your troop losses while doing as much damage as fast and as quickly as possible so patrick how did you feel broadly about this gameplay so it's it's actually an extremely difficult thing and i have i think ultimately um 
a somewhat disappointing answer. And I've, I've been feeling bad about this because I think that this game is really interesting. And I think that it has a lot of fascinating components to it, particularly when it comes to the, um, the way battles play out and the more strategy focus of it. Um, I think that there's a fantastic uh, set of rock, paper, scissors functioning in this game, you know, with different units that can engage at different ranges, spearmen beating cavalry, needing longbowmen to attack air units. Um, there's a lot of cool things going on with the spells and the healing. Um, there's cool things going on with having, you know, two units collapse on one. But ultimately, the thing that's going to matter to me in a game like this is how I perceive and control the battlefield. And my verdict is that for a tactics or strategy game, playing it on a on a controller huh. sucks. Like it just absolutely sucks. This and is I do really not interesting like because you know I'll, I'll let you I'll let you explain more, but I actually think this game uh, controls perfectly. <laughs> so well, yeah. So I so basically I I don't want to say. I don't want to say that the gameplay or the way that they've designed this game is ill-suited for a controller. It's perfect for a controller. And I, yeah, you, I'll give you a chance to speak in a moment. It's the fundamental way in which you control units in an RTS is just going to be intrinsically inferior to the way in which you control with a mouse and keyboard. To give you some examples to illustrate why, why I feel this way. Um, you can only control one unit at a time in this game. That is that is a law of this game. You can't control two units at the same you time. You can command either one unit or all units. Sure, sure. You can, can you can do a control A, but in terms of tactical fidelity, you can only control one unit. In a normal RTS, you can you can set control groups and you can be quickly and very easily tabbing between them while having vision on what you want at the right time. In this game, if you wish to control a unit, you are going to be pulled back to that unit and you're in control of that unit. When I'm playing an RTS, I can be on the other side of the map selecting a unit and controlling them. Another thing is that it, you can issue commands via the minimap in this game, which is really good. Like, if I couldn't do that, I'd be way more down on this game than I am. But using your controller to move to where you would like your units to go is so much worse than having a mouse and keyboard and having the freedom to click units where you want to go. And that's a problem for me. And it's a significant problem for me because the game was fundamentally unsatisfying to play in control because not just because of the control scheme, but because of how this game is fundamentally set out. And there's no getting around that. So Overall, with the gameplay, I, I'll talk about the brawling a bit later, but the part of the gameplay I liked, which was the intrinsic st strategy gameplay part, was incredibly frustrating for me, and in some ways, it's a deal breaker. Okay, that's really interesting. So I actually was incredibly impressed by this game's control scheme. Um, when I was told that this is a real-time strategy game using controller, I kind of balked a bit. I was like, 
who the fuck thought that was a good idea, right? It just sounds absurd. But honestly, the entire game is built around the idea that you're using the controller and it just works. Um, so I had a bunch of, you know, there was a bit of awkwardness for me in learning to master the controls to begin with. But by the end of the game, you know, at the end of the fourth campaign, I felt like I could control all my units so quickly at the same time that was basically, you know, as good as having a mouse and keyboard. So I probably spent about, you know, like 90% of my later gameplay experience in the minimap. Mm, me too. Yeah, because, you know, it's it's a much better way to control the game than going third person with the characters and then issuing from there. Um, so, you know, what I tend to do is um, I'd be I'd cycle through all of my units constantly and constantly update their commands. So I'd get my infantry into a melee combat and then I'd move, go to my archers, move my archers, issue a heal command to my archers and then attack. Um, and then I'd go back to my cavalry. And, you know, with the game, you can set like different waypoints. And with cavalry, what I'd do is I'd set like you know, 10 waypoints, so they'd mm. constantly be charging different units. So then that kind of took pressure off me for, you know, 10 charges where I only had to control two units. Um, and, you know, my archers, I could just sit them and leave them there until the current, you know, focus of my attacks was dead. So, you know, by the end, I felt like I had a really good grasp of being able to control this game. And actually, you know, because I was so impressed with how easy it was to control, um, you know, it, it really did add to my enjoyment. I was amazed the entire time, you know, once I had mastered the combat, it just felt really good to me. Um, so I do agree with you that at first it is a bit awkward, but I think once you get through that teething phase, you know, the control scheme in this game will impress you a lot. I, I do want to emphasize that I do think that like this is a far better take on an RTS for console than something like Halo Wars. However, I just don't want to play an RTS game on a controller full stop. To me, it's just a fundamentally bad experience. I think they should have made this game for PC, and I think they should have changed the third-person perspective, and then I'd be in for this game. But um, as someone who's played a lot of Total War Battles uh, over over the years, um, something like Medieval Total War or Rome Total War or literally any Total War game, that's how I want to... That's what I want these battles to be like. And even though this game has all of the fundamentals to make all of that work fine, the control scheme is just not how I want to play this kind of game. It's just... I just think it's fundamentally ill-suited. But then you kind of run into the opposite problem where it, it's me hating the game because I have to control this third-person brawler with mouse and keyboard and that would be awful. Um, I, I guess... I. Do you want to just jump into the third-person brawling now? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So with the third-person brawling, you know, your infantry will clash with the infantry, infantry and, you know, it'll zoom in on both squads and all of the, uh, you know, all the dudes in your squad will, you know, start battling dudes in their squad and you'll take control of your commander, um, who is, you know, the, the main character of the campaign that you're currently playing. And the main character has... Um, you know, four buttons. He has a light attack, a heavy attack, some form of defensive skill, and then a button to execute his special ability. Um, on top of the RTS and brawling gameplay, there is a special meter at the bottom of your screen that fills up for you doing strategic things like, um, you know, just attacking the enemy or using archers to attack from range. You know, there's a whole sort of different actions that will fill your special meter. Hitting a parry. Um, and hitting a perfect parry. Hitting a parry, like yeah, will give you special. 
Um, and while you're in combat, you can use this special meter to, you know, issue commands to your to your squad leaders uh, to use special abilities, or your character can use one of his special abilities. Um, but you know, the main thing is the troop with your leader is much more powerful than all of the others because that's the one where these brawls take place. Uh, other squads with infantry, these third-person brawls don't happen, just the one that you're in currently. Um, and in these brawls, your main goal is to seek out the enemy leader because if you kill the enemy leader, the entire squad just fucks off because they're terrified. It disappears. Like, it, it counts. It's not that they start retreating and can regroup. They're just all, they're dead. Killing the enemy leader yeah. is a kill on the squad. Yeah, so you can either kill the squad by doing enough damage to, you know, each infantry or by killing the leader outright. Um, the the squad's health bar is represented by a continuous health bar. However, that's it's sort of misleading because really every unit in the squad has their own health. So you could theoretically do you know, uh, 80% of the entire squad's health without actually killing anybody. Um, or you could do a little bit um, by only, you know, focusing one dude down at the start. But yeah, basically, just go find the enemy leader, kill them, because it makes the battle over and done with quite fast. So for me, this um, this gameplay was okay. It wasn't excellent, because, you know, there's not a lot of depth here. Um, but what I think kind of makes up for that is that your attention is kind of pulled away from you constantly by everything that else is that is happening in the mission. So, you know, there's not enough time to get bored with this kind of simplistic gameplay. So um, I think you're being far too kind. I think the brawling is garbage and I think it would be better if this wasn't even in the game. To start with, it's too easy. The, the enemies that you're fighting against are brain dead. They kind of just engage in battle with your other troops and you can literally run circles around them and engage them in any order you choose. Um, it's just kind of mashing buttons and getting lots of damage up and using special attacks. Um, I did not enjoy it at all. It was a bit more fun with Lucretia because she was a bit faster and more nimble. Um, <laughs> but oh man! But honestly, You've got terrible opinions this episode, Patrick. But honestly, I um I really hated the brawling. I think it was terrible. Far too simplistic. Shouldn't have existed. I think um, what I want from my hero combat in an RTS is what you have in Warcraft 3, where you have a more powerful unit, but they still, you know, you're still playing an RTS. See, once again, it just comes back to this shift in control perspective. I don't want to go into a fucking third-person, unenjoyable brawl when I want to be doing but the that's tactics. like the whole that's the whole flavor of this game though right it's controlling these large-scale battles and then zooming into the micro like that's the entire flavor of this game sure if it was enjoyable then then that would be fine but if if it's not enjoyable then they should just get rid of it it, it subtracts from the game for me uh, it, it's just wasting my time as I run around in circles looking for the leader and then I, you know, button mash to kill them and then I'm like, wow, now I can finally get on with playing the game. So I agree that it could have used a bit more depth. I would have really liked the different leaders to have different skill sets and be a bit harder to fight. Um, the same can be said for the basic infantry, but I think that adding too much depth here is would be a huge mistake. Um, you've already got your attention split between all of the little battles that are happening over the map. 
you really don't want this to be, you know, demanding your attention constantly. Otherwise, it would make everything just fall apart, I think. I think the complexity here is slightly below what it should be, but, you know, it's not offensive and I quite enjoyed it for the most part. I um, foreshadowed this briefly in a conversation we had saying I wanted to have a conversation about this, and that's whether it's better for a game to do one thing well or do a few things not well. And to me, this is the critical example. I think it's far better if a game does one thing well than has shitty gameplay that doesn't really contribute anything to the overall experience. I think that if you're going to make this a lazy, you know, uninspired AI, uninteresting gameplay, just don't put it in the game. Don't waste my time with this uh, with this gameplay in inverted commas that is not fun, is not challenging, is repetitive, and is just basically button mashing. Just take it out of the game and focus on what you're good at. Yeah, I disagree. I think that even like even if it was more boring than it currently is, they should have kept it here. Like the entire the entire flavor and fantasy of this game is that, you know, macro micro switch. Um, and I think that there is some enjoyment to be had, you know, on the idea of doing this, not so much in the, you know, moment to moment mechanical gameplay, but to me, the flavor adds a lot. Uh, it makes the makes the battles feel more real than, you know, you know, when you have your RTS and you have your two, you know, squares next to each other doing damage, that's that's boring, right? Um, this is way more interesting from a maybe not a mechanical sense but from a flavor perspective yeah i am um, like i said i far prefer the approach of um of warcraft 3 or um even what they do in the um total war warhammer games sure so i want to attack your idea of this depth versus breadth that you're talking about where games do one thing really well and you know a few things before hold up i'll give you a chance let me let me explain exactly what i mean then please do attack away I think that if a game is going to have... I, I'd rather it worked to make all parts of the gameplay fun than just have extra features for the hell of it. And I think that games that tend to focus exclusively on one thing tend to present you know, far superior experiences than ones that spread themselves too wide. Sure. So, in a sense, I agree. Um, however, I think it really comes down to the way the game is structured. For example, if each of these systems you engaged with you know in an alternating fashion right like you did two minutes of tactics and then you did two minutes of combat and then two minutes of tactics and then two minutes of combat i think this game would be vastly inferior right whereas here these um these you know lesser complexity systems are overlapped on top of each other and you're trying to do them both at the same time effectively so um you know I, I i think the level of engagement that this game provides the player is actually quite immense like when i'm in a battle i am fully absorbed in it because i'm constantly you know having to switch what i'm doing you know on one hand i'm having to think tactically about the battle on a macro sense and then i'm having to you know jump down and chase down the enemy commander in this small skirmish I think that by having these things happening at the same time, it kind of takes away a lot of the problems that you're suggesting with them um, having, you know, lesser complexity or um, lesser refined systems. Like these are very intentionally, um, you know, easier to manage because they're together at the same time rather than being spread apart over the course of the playthrough. Okay, let me see if I can counter that. I don't think my issue is that the gameplay isn't incredibly complicated because i acknowledge you have a point 
if this was Devil May Cry level complicated in a battle, it would be impossible to 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 also have your army running. I think it's because the gameplay, it's not that it's not complicated enough, it's that it's not engaging enough. For example, and I don't know if this would work in the context of the game, but just to provide a, a way in which this could work. Let's say when you jumped into the battle, it immediately jumped you into a duel with the enemy leader. And instead of, um, you know, pressing B and X and X and Y for special attacks and kind of mashing X and A, what if it was a quick 10 to 15 second rhythm game where you're kind of in a duel, almost Sekiro-like, bang, bang, defend, defend, bang, bang, defend, defend, 10 to 15 seconds later, it's over, and then you're back to the fight. That's something that's a lot more engaging, a lot faster. Uh, you know, it gets over quickly. You're, you know, it's a, it's an easy, you know, it's fairly easy and simplistic skill set, but it kind of drops a lot of this clunk and clutter of combos and etc. when none of it really matters and it's all the same because you're just kind of doing damage. That to me would be would be superior and would allow those two systems to exist in harmony. Yeah, so I agree with you that that does sound more fun. Um, my my like I agree that this system isn't perfect, but I do think it's more engaging than you're giving it credit to, thanks to the existence of combos in the game. And you like I spent you know was always trying to figure out you know what my character could do. What was the what was the best way to deal damage to the enemy? You know what was the most efficient source? Um, you know for the current situation. And I found that unlike a lot of maybe you know brawling games, it was a bit harder for me to you know, uh, mentally list all the combinations in my head because I was constantly dragged away. So what kind of engaged me about the combat in this game was trying to figure out those optimal, you know, combo strings and button presses. Um, I don't know if this isn't, I don't think that's intentional because in the load screens of this game, it actually tells you what they are. But on the PC version that they've just released, you know, modern day computers load very fast. <laughs> so I never actually got to see the loading screens. So a bit of engagement I got out of it that wasn't intentional but it was there for me sure yeah i i just didn't feel that way i perhaps i wasn't being as optimal with my dpsing as you are that doesn't surprise me that's uh that's more your style than mine but uh i found that it, it was hard to make a significant difference and the way that killing an enemy leader was always and you know just trying to find them and kill them as fast as possible was always the correct approach i think removed a lot of the potential nuance in uh in deciding what to do i actually agree because i think um you know choosing which of your squad mates to help would have been more interesting mm. but you know here what you kind of end up doing is running through hitting each enemy once because you can't actually like sometimes you can't actually tell who the squad leader is unless their health bar appears yeah. and it only appears the first time you hit them so you kind of just light attack everything until you find the right one and then you know, try and go to town on him before you're rudely interrupted by your own mortifier sending people flying around you. Um, which actually happened to me, like, constantly. I actually gave up near the end of the game on trying to kill leaders because it was just too hectic. Yeah, I got a little little full on. Um, James, let's have, a, let's have a quick music break, I think. Yeah, let's do that. Patrick, I know you like these, uh, these metal grungier soundtracks. We haven't really had one on the show so far but i know you like this style of music in general how did you feel about it here um it was pretty good so heavy metal is one of the few music genres that i actually know 
an amount about. Usually with music, I'm a complete pleb, but of course I went through that, you know, teenage to, to early 20s <laughs> phase where metal was all I listened to. Um, you would describe this kind of metal, I think, as probably new metal, which is the kind of metal that started picking up in the um, in the 90s after after thrash and death metal. And for me, new metal was always kind of a regression from the more technical, intricate guitar work of um, of thrash metal and death metal and all that kind of stuff. That said, it was it was pretty good. I think that my my issue with the music isn't tied to the music itself, but rather that it's kind of it kind of leads to a very one note and to me kind of immature and edgy portrayal of war, which is not really what I want from my military fantasy. As a person who's like heavy into military fantasy, like it's my favorite genre probably of uh, of books, I kind of like war to be a you know the, this genre to be a bit more reflective and melancholic and you know going into the nature of humanity and to have this constant barrage of uh, of heavy metal, including during like briefing screens and squad selection yeah. <laughs> and literally every single moment in this game was a little bit too much for me. That being said, uh, my favorite pieces were the ones which kind of eased off the the pedal a bit. Um, and my favorite one is uh, is track ten, which I remember being the track that plays at the start of Lucretia's campaign. I can't remember if it gets played at other times. Well, here is track ten. That was track 10, and I actually, you know, I enjoyed the soundtrack as well, although I think I'm a bit higher on it than Patrick is. I kind of liked the, uh, you know, the cheesy depiction of war that this game had. Um, I, I'm not so much into the military fiction as Patrick, and I kind of, you know, honestly a little tired of the war is bad thing. Um, <laughs> you know, everyone, everyone knows that by this point. Um, has that ever really been a debate? It's not, it's not about war is bad. Like, that... That's not what it is. I mean, the reason I like military fantasy is because I enjoy reading about war and battles and everything. It's that 
it's about you know the impact on hum like the the impact that war has on humans it has on the soldiers and the generals the civilians and everyone and everything and i i kind of like my military fantasy to be more like character dramas in a lot of way i mean even something like game of thrones i think has a lot of nuance to it in its portrayal of war this was a very one note and the music kind of grated on me as a consequence yeah when i was looking over the soundtrack i was actually surprised that there were so many tracks on it because i was convinced (laughs) that there was only like three tracks on the entire because you know every single piece of music uses the same instruments it's by the same band and the only difference is you know whether you're in battle or in the you know the overworld selecting which mission to do so a lot of it did blend together for me but on the whole i'm you know fairly happy with it i think it did an okay job um if not a spectacular one yeah i don't hate it by any stretch but the fact that i think i would have enjoyed it more if there was more variety you know have the heavy metal bits for when you know the combat's really full-blown and then pull it back more um, in those more quiet contemplative moments. Um, I also just want to add one final note. The audio mixing is horrendous. Uh, When the game opens and the metal music starts playing, you can barely hear the characters speak. Like they're you're like you're like straining to hear what each and every character has to say over the music. I had to turn it down a lot. Do you just mean the default settings? Because I don't remember that. Maybe I just changed yeah. it to begin with and forgot about it. You have to make sure you turn the music <laughs> down a bit. Is, is all I'm saying. Yeah. So let's get back into the gameplay a bit. So we kind of had a bit of a discussion about the you know the the third person brawling. So let's go back a bit and talk about. A, the tactics style gameplay, and B, I want to touch on the difficulty curve and the way that this game kind of eases you Mm -hmm. in and how that relates to, I guess, naturally with the story as well, and then we can go into that. So you were pretty low on the brawling itself and, you know, the controls, but how did you feel about the, you know, the rock, paper, scissors, strategic nature of the missions? Honestly, it's really strong. Like I, I don't want to um I don't want to understate the parts of the games that I like. So the thing about this sort of game is you don't need a crazy complex web of this unit beats this unit, this unit beats these this unit. Because you have to most of your focus is on the maneuvering of your troops. And when you combine the importance of maneuvering your troops into the best positions, um, it's more than complicated enough to have a pretty simple rock, paper, scissors system. Um, and I think that this game nailed, you know, spearmen are good against cavalry, um, archers are good against flying units, uh, heavy infantry and paladins are good to be your frontline units that charge the archers, etc., etc. well enough Um balance that well enough with the formation you know wrangling that it led to a fairly satisfying experience overall uh i quite liked the fact that um there were multiple solutions to a lot of problems although i don't know if it counts as cheese (laughs) uh when i was in a lot of trouble i often um went back to my strategy of using sappers okay and just kind of planting a lot of mines and luring those enemies into the mines so i actually that, uh, um, bowed me out of trouble a lot so i actually didn't use sappers again after the like the missions where the game required you to use it i generally stuck to a oh, right. yeah so with the i generally stuck to an infantry archer and then depending on which faction i was playing either mortar or heavy cavalry strategy 
Um, mm. Something that I found was extremely important for me was generating a lot of special points to use healing spells or special abilities. Yep. Um, so healing is healing is so extremely important. strong in this game, and generally, so your squads can learn. So each squad has a leader. And he has skill points that you can invest experience into that you earn each battle. And you can teach him spells, like he can learn, you know, fire magic to cast meteors, or he can learn healing magic. Um, and critically, you can only use these spells when you're not engaged in melee combat. So what it's generally good to do is teach your archers the healing spell. So when they, you know, outside of combat, they can keep your infantry topped up while they're engaged in melee, because, you know... You know, your infantry will spend be in melee like ninety percent of the time, so you're not you're not going to get a spell off with these characters. Um, but healing's pretty costly, so you really want to be using um, point generation units, particularly cavalry. I found were very good at generating special, um, as well as you know trying to stay in the third person brawling enough because that also generates a lot of it. Yeah. Um. And you're completely right. It, it is important to just keep healing your troops, and that was the cornerstone of my strategy every time. Um, I, I would say that I changed up my unit composition quite a bit. Okay. So I, I don't know, once again, don't know if this is scummy, but after every single mission, I was using a rolling save system where I would create a new save game before I spent any skill points or upgraded my troops or anything. And then I would try out a configuration of troops by upgrading everyone after seeing what kind of mission I was going to face. Uh, and then I would, you know, try it out. And sometimes I would bring a unit composition that would fail. I don't know about you, James, but I um, I failed quite a few missions. Like it, my, my guys died and I failed, particularly as I moved into the third campaign. So uh, I played around a lot with different unit compositions to give me the best advantage moving forwards. I wasn't able just to have one default strategy. So generally what happened to me was that I would beat a lot of missions first try, and then I would mm. come up to these missions in particular that would take me like four to six goes um, and I'd get stuck on them for a while before you know figuring out what I was doing wrong tactically and then being able to progress. So about i say between four or five pain points for me during the game where you know i really needed to grow as a player um but generally mm. i found that in each of these situations it was my fault um it wasn't me getting screwed over by you know the random chance or anything it was i had to learn to do something and you know to begin with um i wasn't using cavalry as effectively as i could be because i wasn't setting waypoints for them because um Horse? Yeah, you you letting me know about that was uh was a game changer. It never tells you you can set waypoints, as far as I know. Yeah, because with your cavalry, they have the stats frontal and melee, and these are different. So when your you know your cavalry units are just in a melee and they're sitting on their horse just swinging at dudes, they use their melee stat and they don't do that much damage. But if you have your horses constantly running around and running through units, they do a shitload of bonus damage with their you know with their cavalry charge and generate a dickload of special points for you to use. So you know having them constantly charging through units, even if it's just to generate SP for bonus heals, was incredibly useful. Um, and you know in addition, when they charge through, they actually knock a lot of people down, which reduces the damage they deal. 
while they're, you know, not hitting. So very useful there. I wasn't too experimental after the first couple, I'd say, missions of each campaign. Like, I generally settle on a strategy and then stick with that one um, and dump mm -hmm. basically all my gold and experience into these three or four units that I try and stick with um, just so I could, you know, out-level them a little, out-level out the, um, the story a little bit. Interesting. I, I think I spread mine a bit a bit wider and I was trying just trying new combinations of things to see how they worked out. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there are missions where it's like one of the things I do really like is that it does tell you when to prepare for special enemy units. Yes. Like it will tell you there will be flying units on this mission. So theoretically, if you're paying enough attention, you can you won't get surprised by a random unit that you Correct. Yeah. weren't warned of ahead of time. Um. But yeah, I, I thought it all worked very well. I Like you, I agree that the game doesn't fuck you over. It gives you the opportunities to adapt. Um, one of the big things about our, that I really liked about Mega Man Battle Network 3, which we did, you know, forever and a day ago, <laughs> um, was that it always felt like you had the tools at your disposal to overcome the challenges. And with this game, I felt exactly the same. I might not have cracked onto the correct set of tools immediately but they were there um and as long as i took the time to find them i was able to you know beat each and every level so i really appreciated that about the game yeah just a side note on information i think the game does a really good job of communicating to you important info like you know you said that there's critical enemy units in a certain mission even during battle um the game constantly calls out with voice lines what's going on to help with the you know you've got this really zoomed in third person perspective you don't have that you know battle-wide view that you do in a traditional real-time strategy so having units call out like the archers are stuck in melee or like this uh this unit has finished fighting and it's won the battle it was really helpful for me you know coordinating what i was doing throughout the you know the experience and that came up a lot for me yeah i'm i'm sorry to say sound like a a rusty old drum or whatever the hell the metaphor is or saying but uh it's i just want to emphasize i basically i agree with you i think that this game for a cons you know for a console controller controlled rts does does a lot like this is probably the best controller based rts i've played however even the best controller based rts to in my eyes is just a far worse experience than a regular old RTS where I get to control with mouse and keyboard. So I don't I don't want to just keep saying this game sucks, this game sucks, but the way this game controls did greatly affect my experience. Um, even though I can stand back and acknowledge from a distance that uh, that these systems and everything are well designed to work together. Okay, sure. Um, so can we talk about the difficulty curve for a bit? Because it's kind of interesting to me. So... In the first two campaigns, which are labelled, you know, easy and normal respectively, it starts off almost hand-holdy, I'd say. Like, the first few missions, mm -hmm. you have one squad, and it tells you exactly what actions you should take um, at each point. I'd say the first campaign is extremely hand-holdy, and then as you go through the game, it gets less so and less so until the point, you know, with the last two campaigns where you have basically full control um, the entire time. Because, uh, you know, in the, at the start, you can't really choose what units you do. 
Um, and I was kind of grateful for this because I was worried that I was going to get, you know, thrown in the deep end right at the start and have no idea what I was doing. But this kind of approach that they took from, you know, taking that extra time to let you get comfortable with the controls and the gameplay, um, you know, really allowed a lot of, you know, a little dialogue between the characters at the start to kind of set the tone for the story and the, you know, the world, um, as well as, you know, it makes sense from a story perspective, because at the start of the, the game, uh, the characters you control, they're not generals, so they're kind of taking battle orders from other people, so the strategies are, you know, devised by, you know, third parties. Whereas in the later half of the game, um, you know, there's basically no strategy given to you because it's all up to you to work it out. Um, I agree. I uh, I think that one of the issues we had on a Heroes of Might and Magic 3 episode was that although that game was uh, a tactical and strategic marvel in a lot of ways, the process of learning to play it was a nightmare yeah. because you just you just had to guess in a lot of ways you had to guess and fail guess and fail guess and fail because it was so complicated and there was nothing guiding you and the learning curve like went from the first mission being reasonable and then by mission two you're controlling like eight heroes at once it it was it was absurd um learning learning it was a pain this game does it right like this game obviously isn't isn't as complicated of heroes and might and magic but it's easily as intimidating because of how different it is from anything i'd played before and um like you i really appreciated the um the the slow learning curve the only place i think it falters is i think that the second campaign uh kind of just re-tutorializes um the first yes. campaign for the first five missions and then the, the second part of lucretia's campaign is actually ramps up the difficulty a quite lot, a bit yes but but they they could have um they could have just you know made that that part of the campaign a bit more difficult. I mean, the units aren't so different that you know the the gameplay is different. It's still pretty much the same. But apart from that, I thought it ramped up really nicely. There were a couple of points where I think it needed to tell you more information. For example, like we discussed before, the game doesn't tell you that you can set waypoints and multiple actions for a single unit. You just mm -hmm. kind of have to learn that or in my case i was told that by my friend that i could do that luckily hmm. um so you know by holding both um of the shoulder buttons and using the mini map you can plot a course for your you know your cavalry for example and that's really useful uh similarly when you get given support units who you can like command but not directly control it's kind of it doesn't really tell you what they're useful for. You just kind of have to figure that out on your own. And I, the first time they were introduced, I got stuck on that mission, something fierce, and was really, you know, missing those excellent tutorials that were at the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. I think the tutorials also do an excellent job of tying into the story. Um, you know, every tutorial makes sense from a strategic story point of view. For example, you know, uh, the enemy forces are coming across the river and you need to set traps over here and then it teaches you how to set the traps. So I didn't find it like too gamey of a tutorial. It just kind of fit naturally into what was going on. Yeah, no, um, this game has an excellent difficulty curve. Uh, at times I was like, wow, this is too hard for me. Why am I so bad at this game? But then I got <laughs> over myself and actually learned to beat it. And I mean, that's the thing. I'm, it's always frustrating when you die with uh, three minutes after starting a mission. But that's <laughs> exactly what gave me the motivation to get better at it. So 
I um I think the difficulty of this game, even though it's very hard, it's not hard in a way that's unfair or unforgiving. And l- like I said, it always gives you the tools if you can if you just spend the time to to play around with its systems a bit. So yeah, big thumbs up for the way this difficulty curve has been done. All right, so I just have one more little thing I want to talk about before we go to the next music break. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got this interesting question, which I kind of told you ahead of time, and that's yeah. um, what is, does it mean for a game to age? So obviously with stuff like graphics you know graphical fidelity has improved over the years you know this game came out in 2003 and is starting to look you know quite dated in terms of you know its visuals however from a gameplay perspective usually you take aging to mean something along the lines of you know other games in the genre have progressed and come up with new systems and refined the formula but what about when there's not really too many other good examples of similar games this game is really unique right so i think that gives it an edge over a lot of its competition here because there really hasn't been something that's come along tried to do the same thing but done it better right so i kind of somewhat disagree with your premise i think that a game if it slaps together a bunch of different things you can still look at each individual element and compare it like, for example, with this game, I'd compare the strategy to, like I said, to the Total War series. That That's what comes to mind. And with the brawling, I mean, my inevitable comparison for a third-person medieval brawler is always going to be Dark Souls. And I know that at first sounds ridiculous, but the thing is Dark Souls just changed how we perceive third-person action games. It just did. Um, the Total War series has been doing... Uh, formation-based strategic battles long before this game was ever released. I think that when you have a game that is truly unique in its mechanics, and the one that comes to mind is Katamari Damacy, you've got a far better point. Because what other game is like Katamari Damacy? <laughs> and I can't, I can't even think of one that's even remotely similar. Although this does bring different elements together into a fairly unique pa- package, I'll admit that, I don't think that you I don't think it's inappropriate to compare those individual elements to other games. Okay, fair enough. I can see that. I'm I do think that this blend of two different genres does give it something to be said for it. Um and you know a reason to go back and visit it because you're really not going to get this experience elsewhere. I before we finish, I will say that I think that the the most unique thing about this game is the thing I dislike about it, which is the control scheme. So that makes it kind of kind of hard for me. But if someone sounds intrigued by this control scheme, then yes, that is a unique part of, part of this game and the way it's played. And that's something that doesn't really have a direct comparison. It's just, for me, as you've probably guessed, that's a significant flaw. For others, maybe it's not. And if you sound intrigued by it, I think that you can make a strong argument for it's hard to compare it. It's just for me, it's bad. So I'm just like, well, I don't care if it's hard to compare. (laughs) All right. With that said, it's time for my music break now. So Patrick chose uh, one of the like two slower (laughs) tracks on the soundtrack. So I'm going to give you a, give you a taste of what the soundtrack is actually like um, (laughs) for the most part with one of the more high octane battle themes. So we're going to go with um, the mission number two uh, battle theme. So here it is.
that was mission number two, and that was you know much more representative of yes. you know the entire game than uh, the the song Patrick chose. And you know, in general, I quite liked the the high octane nature of the soundtrack. I thought it did a pretty good job. But uh, we've already we've already gone over that. So where did you want to did you want to get into the story now, Patrick? Yeah, we we should get into the story. So if you really would like to play this game and not get spoiled, spoiler warning for what it's worth. It doesn't matter, but, you know, just just fair, fair warning with the spoilers. Uh, so just to recap, you take control of these four leaders in a factional conflict that seems to be related to um, controlling land. The, the game is tech, is a sequel to, um, to another game, which I mentioned before, Kingdom Under Fire, A War of Heroes, which was a similar multifactional conflict. And this is set 50 years after that game where you know, the bad guys have control of the Holy Land. The game starts with um, Gerald discovering a raised village. He assumes that it's the work of the Dark Elves, and that's enough to trigger a full-scale war. Um, first up, that should immediately be suspicious because raiding happens between rival kingdoms all the time, and it's just, you know, a reality of, of, of life. It wouldn't be enough to start a full-blown war, but... But, you know, the game actually goes into that later. So the thing is, you kind of get engaged with all these conflicts. You play on the different sides. You're fighting over Holy Land, etc., etc. But the weird thing and interesting thing and different thing about this game is that there's a secondary plot that is simmering under the surface throughout your entire playthrough. And it's something that only gets revealed very late into the second campaign. Yes. And only gets, you know, fully explained as you as you continue playing. Um, how did you feel about this, James? Did you did you enjoy how the story unfolded? Were you as confused as I was? Broadly speaking, I did enjoy the story somewhat. I liked the you know, this way that you had to kind of piece together what was going on between the, you know, the four campaigns. Uh, when we've seen stories like this that kind of, you know, leave you hanging for a while and leave you to figure everything out, maybe like Vagrant Story in the past or other games with multiple perspectives, um, I generally find that those games are always completely parallel to each other, whereas in this game the stories don't all take place at the same time, and I found that kind of interesting. Um, I don't think it's an excellent story. Um, I think that it's got a lot of problems with some of its characters. I think it doesn't do a great job of explaining a lot of the motivations between the factions and the characters. But on the whole, I think it's engaging enough to be enjoyable. Yeah, I think that um, if you're going to do a story like this and not explain everything to the player, you really need to have strong characterizations and strong character interactions. And this game does not really have that. Um, not every character is horrible, but they're just not particularly interesting. Like, I, I didn't really care about these characters too much. So I found that there was two characters that were pretty interesting in the story. That was the main character, Gerald, um, who you begin the easy campaign as, and Regnia, um, who is the, the final character you play as in the hard campaign. 
Um, I felt mm. that with Gerald in particular, the game did a pretty good job of having him have like a character arc where he grew as a person, you know, learnt from his mistakes and had failings as a character. Whereas everyone else kind of remained very static throughout the experience. And I kind of, I found that kind of disappointing, especially in the third character, Kendall's campaign. Kendall is this like... Uh, you know, zealous paladin type character, and he just never really strays from that path. Um, and it's kind of uninteresting. His views aren't really challenged all that much, and he just kind of follows the word of God throughout the entire campaign. Um, and fuck the second campaign, holy shit. Uh, it makes me so angry, the characters in that. So you play as these dark elves, and apparently every dark elf in existence is just a massive, massive asshole. Um, and they hate each other, and they fight each I other. Mean, and that, it's just to it's be so fair, painful. That's kind of... It's, that's kind of on theme for dark elves in correct in, in literature. <laughs> but last last fortnight we played a game called No One Lives Forever, um, and the characters in that argue fucking constantly. But the the banter that they have is really entertaining and witty, whereas here they just kind of call each other a bitch constantly, and it's just not funny at all, right? Yeah. So um. I'm pretty much on the same page as you. I think that Gerald was the most interesting character. There's one moment in particular where he kind of loses his shit yeah. <laughs> as he's attacking a bunch of orcs, and it like goes on for far too long where he's just swearing, and he's absolutely furious as he's tearing into these orcs in a fight. And I'm like, you know what? I can feel that anger radiating yeah, yeah, radi off my screen. <laughs> so that was, that was very good. And like you said... As it went on, he learned to move past that anger and, you know, form an alliance for the greater good. I, I agree. The thing that really bugged me about Lucretia's campaign was her relationship with um, Kindle, I think his name was, the um, the other Dark Elf. No, Kendall was the um, the character in the third campaign, the main character. No, what was his? R Rivi, I, I can't remember. Rithrin? Rithrin, it was Rithrin. I, I know it's someone. Uh -huh. So... So they clearly had a fling in the past, like they, they had a past relationship. And over the course of the entire campaign, he keeps trying to reinitiate it with her, not like in a in a creepy way, like he keeps trying to talk to her and, you know, open up dialogue and all this other stuff. And every time she shuts him down, she's like, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. And then at the end of the game, he dies and the campaign ends with her reciting a love poem about him i'm like shut the fuck up you had so many chances you had infinite chances he kept wanting to reinitiate this relationship in a very pleasant and polite way and you were just a complete bitch to him so when he died i had literally zero sympathy for her i was like fuck you <laughs> i think um that was an important point of the story to show that because up until that point all the dark elves just seem like utter cunts right like all of them every character in that faction is just like an unlikable asshole and that's like the mm. first real point in the story that kind of humanizes these characters and make them seem like they have you know some kind of emotion that isn't hate 
Um, and, you know, you kind of get a bit more of that in Regnia's campaign, not directly through the story, but when you're in town, you can go to the pub and listen to, you know, just random people's conversations. Um, and a lot of the orc characters who were just portrayed as monsters previously had a fair bit to say in there. And they were talking about, you know, I want this war to end and go back to my farm. And they seem <laughs> a lot less like, mo- they seem like a lot less monster-like there. And I, you know, I enjoyed those, you know, moments of humanizing them and not having the, you know, the humans as these holy denizens of God that they were proclaiming themselves to be. I just wish that the Dark Elf campaign had done a better job at justifying find them other than you know we're assholes by nature i think um the other thing that really dramatically dropped my immersion is that some of the voice acting in this game is atrocious i thought some of it was okay yes i agree with that but there were specific ones that and it's not lunar silver star story bad it's just kind of very uninterested um general hugh is like the most bored general I've ever heard. Uh, the the dark elf general, the the girl, horrible. Just speaks in a stupid high pitched voice. Didn't didn't like her at all. What's the name? It's it's like Walden. See, there's a Walder and there's a Walden. One of them's a spearman guy who did a good job, but the other one's the one who is after the heart. I think it's Walter. Walter. Walden, so Walter. Is, Walden is the prick who I actually liked as a character. Yeah, me too, yeah. But Walter's voice acting's pretty bad as well. Just very, very uninterested. Uh, can we talk about Thomas, the little kid, like Paladin? When um he was introduced, I was preparing to hate him as this annoying child. And then he was just like, he's so overzealous and like, you know, in the name of God and purge the heretics. It was so funny. There's also a great bit where he's like, Dad, it's good to see you. And his dad goes, don't speak to me that way while we're on campaign. <laughs> oh, that was just, I'm like, man, that is so cold. <laughs> just He's like an eight-year-old kid. Come on, mate. Overall, those factional stuff, uh, it fell a bit short for me, but overall I found some of the dialogue enjoyable. I did particularly like the first campaign with Gerald. I felt that they did a great job of leaning into that kind of like strategic military um, idea and talking about, you know, things from a military perspective. I enjoyed the tactics on the tactics screen in Mm. that campaign, and I thought, you know, it was engaging for the most part. Um, And then I don't think any of the other campaigns really you know drew me in the way that one did which was unfortunate the other thing about the first campaign is that i felt like the story beats matched the missions really well and it felt like you were doing new stuff like new battles with each story beats the third campaign in particular it just kind of felt like we were progressing like I, i this the story was barely moving it was like oh we're going here now oh we're going here now not much was really happening there was no intrigue the main the character you were playing was boring uh yeah so i think it really started to stumble stumble at that point so renier's campaign the fourth one also had that problem to some degree um because renier's a much more interesting character i was a bit more engaged than with kendall's 
Um, however, uh, I think it's because because you're basically promoted to general in these two campaigns and all the tactics on you, there isn't this like other character of authority to kind of bounce back off mm. like the first two had. Um, and I thought that it, it was kind of a strength of the tutorial and the difficulty curve, but also to the detriment of the story, um, it dropping off and, you know, being about you. So yeah, it did fall off a bit there. However, how did you feel about the big reveal, Patrick? Because there was this uh, simmering undercurrent story which is probably the most interesting part of the narrative that kind of gets revealed very suddenly to you uh, in this one particularly exciting mission. I mean, I kind of didn't really like it. No? The big reveal being the big reveal being ah, the crystal has released the evil demon that's going to consume the world and it's a big evil guy and his motivations are well, he's got no motivations because he's just big evil was kind of whatever i it's kind of uninteresting that that whole thing is so overdone it's it's a cool looking evil monster but you know i'm very much in the faction that uh that you know humanity is always going to be the most interesting foe and or some some version of humanity that we can understand when the foe is just big evil dude it's always going to be less interesting and that being the reveal was kind of uninteresting to me I find factional politics far, far more interesting than an ancient evil has arisen. I really liked the design of the new monsters that they introduced. The big evil thing floating in the middle of the sky was massive and intimidating. Um, and it had all these really, you know, scary you know, fleshy mouths all over it that were bleaching these really terrifying looking monsters that uh, that design was really scary and cool I, I quite liked the reveal um i thought that it built up to it fairly well um and i thought that kind of like the background lore of the world being stuck in these two cycles was interesting and it made you know a couple of the characters, of light and dark yeah, yeah a bit more uh. you know, in, no you don't like it you're boring patrick you only like no. your old people yelling at each other and the in the um in the senate kind of thing <laughs> what <laughs> what i like is malas and book of the fallen so that's that's what every everything should be and that's the bar i held everything to uh, i mean the first book isn't a really high bar in my opinion but uh you know that's a conversation for another time you know i agree with that um, but yes you're quite right <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not the craziest thing. I think what's more interesting about this villain is not the villain itself, you know, this ancient evil monster, but the effect that it has on all the other factions, including the leader of the humans who actually, uh, starts to turn against, you know, the will of God at some point because, uh, he has this lust for power. And I thought that, you know, figuring all that stuff out because it's not all, um, you know, it's not spelled out to you. This, this game doesn't spell the entire plot out to you. It expects you to work it all out. And, um, I found that, you know, just engaging enough. Yeah, so I alluded to it before, but if the characters aren't well done, having a vague story is just going to make me disengage with it. Um, character drama goes a long way because you can get invested in that. If you don't have interesting character drama that you can emotionally engage with, having a story you can't engage with either makes for a very, very tough sell. So I don't think this story was horrible. In fact, it was probably better than I expected it to be. But I don't think it was very good either. Um, yeah, just just kind of bounced off it a little bit. 
uh, it it's it suffices. It um it matches the uh the gameplay. I yeah I, I thought that it was um on the whole enjoyable, but it didn't reach its full potential. Um, speaking of the human leader, did you notice that they censored out the word every time it was mentioned? No. Yeah. So apparently, um, in the original version of the game, um, he was named the Pope. Yeah, which makes sense. It's the Crusades. Yeah, and they thought that it would offend, you know, the Catholic player base. So they took out the word Pope everywhere it appears and replaced it with the word. However, they didn't record a new voice line because they only did this this year. Um, mm. And so every time they mention the, it just the, the sound bite doesn't play. It just skips it. Right. Um, so that's kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> but you know, not a big deal. Um, on sound as a whole uh you know other than the music how did you feel in general uh yeah i thought the sound was great um you basically all you what you want from a game like this is a lot of sound cues to uniquely identify um what units are fighting what and cavalry sound different to spearmen sound differently to mortars so i thought it did a really good job i mentioned that the um that the voice acting is a very mixed bag and goes from, you know, yeah. pretty good to atrocious. But on the whole, I thought the sound was great. So many units had, like, very few voice lines for when you gave them command. Like, <laughs> particularly during Lucretia's campaign, I heard the phrase, are you even elves? Like, a hundred <laughs> times, like, every battle. Uh, um, but, you know, it's fine. That, um, that's, but, a, that's an RTS staple, though. Like, if, yeah, if, you, play, if you play uh, Command and Conquer or whatever, <laughs> just get used to hearing the same voice lines over and over. I can't, I can't be mad at that. Warcraft 3 did it pretty well, honestly um but yeah on the whole um i think the the sound was good too i think it did a great job of communicating um information to the player like i mentioned before and you know voice acting i think gerald and rainiers were really good and then as patrick said everyone else kind of stumbled <laughs> a bit so you know n not as strong there I, I will say that um you know if you compare the voice acting to the graphics the voice acting is pretty damn good <laughs> because this is yeah. one awful looking game <laughs> it's it's not the uh it's not the hd remaster that you were hoping for no definitely not so the best looking part of this game are definitely um the little character sprites that appear on screen when people are talking yeah. and i think uh the people that made this game realized that too because uh when this game starts there's a lot of these really awkward in-engine cutscenes between the character models that just look fucking horrendous um and as the game goes on i feel like the developers realized this and started like leaning towards these talking head cutscenes a lot more as you know it progressed i don't think uh those ugly cutscenes happened you know again past the halfway point i'm gonna say um although i will say that there are some like pre-rendered cg cutscenes that happen at very critical moments there's maybe like three or four in the entire game and they actually looked fairly decent and impressive i found them a little claymation-esque uh, very smooth edges on people's faces that sort of thing i oh, were they were fine i think that um yeah the interesting thing about this is that it's in wide resolution like you're, you're playing you know 1920 by 1080 but the textures haven't been improved at all so you at can all? yeah no. you can so you can see more of your screen but what you're seeing <laughs> ain't pretty <laughs> and maybe it looks uh less embarrassing when it was on an xbox on a tv screen far away so you can't make it out but playing it on a pc yeah those textures are extremely muddy 
Um, it's got also got the issue where in a squad, it's you know a bunch of identical looking units, like it's twenty. But you yes. know that's just like I mean that was a feature of the early Total War games as well. The new ones have far better variety, but that that shit doesn't really bother me. It's more the low resolution and the poor texture work that really sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, honestly, I kind of just, like, ignore graphics when they suck this bad. I just, like, <laughs> pass it off as being, like, you know, this is an old game, whatever. But there were three particular things that I had a big problem with, um, you know, outside of it just looking a bit ugly. So the first one is... Um, when this game came out in 2003, I'm sure it was very you know, impressive for these battles to have so many units in them at one time. However, it is very obvious that the trade-off here is the fucking draw distance mm -hmm. because you can't see, like, four meters in front of you in this game in a lot of places. I, you know, you'd think they might upgrade this for the PC version. They have not at all, um, to the point where not only was the minimap easier to control, but you kind of had to use it to get a full scope of the battle because yes. you can't see shit yep. um, when you're in third person. It's really frustrating. Secondly... So when you're in battle, I noticed as Renier, he has a um, like a lieutenant that's uh, like this big ogre. And when the big ogre is between your character and the camera, he goes transparent so you can see through him. And that's great. However, why the fuck don't trees do that when you're in a forest? Because you can't see shit when you're in a forest. The camera angle is stuck at this really low angle, so you're just constantly not able to see anything when you're fighting enemies in a forest. It's so infuriating. Um, yeah, like I completely agree with you. The um, the other thing I'd add is um, it's something that I think you mentioned before, the way that Mortifier and you know fire meteor spells and everything can create like a lot of visual noise uh which yes. can make it hard to figure out what to do and the end result is that you just end up staring at the minimap which is you know a very basic representation of your troops so i think this to some degree you have to admit ties into the control scheme and what i was complaining about earlier though because you have such uh, a limited perspective of the battle being, you know, stuck behind your troops, as opposed to an overhead view, you have some, you know, things like draw distance and everything would be far less of an issue if we had a traditional RTS overview. Yeah, I don't want to overblow my problems with the draw distance because the minimap is so useful, and I probably would have used it anyway over not using it, that, you know, I spent so much of my time looking at it I barely even registered that the draw distance was a problem, except in a few specific scenarios where it was. Um, particularly trying to target aerial units. Um, I mentioned that I got stuck on an aerial unit mission in the mid-game, and that was because I was trying to target them outside of the minimap, and that's a fucking mistake. You actually can't angle your camera high enough to see them. Um, so it's basically like impossible to do it unless you just kind of move the mouse around until or, like the cursor around until you know they're highlighted on screen so just just use the mini map for that shit yeah so it's ugly as hell but it's mostly functional and like i said i think more of my issues tie into the limited way in which it's presented to you um in terms of functionality like james said it's ugly but you can basically ignore that it's a it's a strategy tactics game i think it's got that murky military aesthetic uh and as a result it, it kind of works 
All right, so I've only got one last bit that I want to go over to, and then my notes are done, Patrick, and that's I wanted to talk about the customization for a little bit. Yep, sounds good. So customization in this game is kind of interesting because it takes place on maybe two axes. So on one hand, you because you, you've got two resources to spend on upgrading troops. So um, you've got gold, which you acquire through you know beating a mission, and experience, which you know you also get throughout the mission, and you get these two resources in different ways while playing the game. We'll go into that, um, but you know basically your units have equipment and skills that you can learn, and depending on how you upgrade certain troops, they can play in you know fairly different ways. Um, and I found that it was actually quite fun to sit in menus for a while. You know, I I, I like sitting in menus and you know figuring out how to min max characters and troops and that kind of thing in lots of games. Um, in general and I found it quite enjoyable here. It wasn't super in-depth but there was like enough there um, that I liked kind of planning out my strategies in advance and trying to you know make my characters the best that they could be. How did you feel about it Pat? Um, my favorite part of it was I enjoyed leveling up the uh, the leaders of each squads to give them different abilities. I thought that was quite cool. And I liked the way in which you upgraded your unit's abilities to unlock different classes for them. So you could, you know, upgrade the unit's role. I wasn't really a fan of the equipment micromanagement because it just felt like you were basically just replacing um, slightly weaker versions with slightly stronger versions with whatever leftover gold you had. I liked most of the customization. It wasn't too complicated. Uh, it was, but it was interesting looking at the uh, the tr- particularly the um the roles that you could evolve your units into. I liked that a lot. But yeah, I found the um the the itemization a little finicky and o- honestly mostly irrelevant. Um, maybe maybe there's something I'm missing, and that itemization is critical and like a level twelve defense of the right type is a lot stronger than the level 18 generically more powerful thing but i found that it generally didn't make a difference and it was just something to sink extra money into after i'd done the real upgrading yeah i i kind of agree that the equipment was the weakest part of the system um some equipment had special effects on them um the most important one being uh, gaining extra special um, so I got told mm-hmm. this by my friend, the one who'd recommended this game to us, um, and I would have never fucking figured this out otherwise. Did you know, Patrick, that the amount of gold you get at the end of the mission um, is correlated to the amount of special that you earn? And if you cap your special bar, you can't earn more gold? What? Yeah, so if you get lots of armor that gives you bonus special generation, you acquire gold a lot faster. No, I had no idea. I, I thought it was tied to, like, number of enemies killed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's how experience works, maybe? But yeah, those those weapons and armor that gave you bonus gold and experience, super good, because um, they let you make your dudes stronger. Mm. Um, but you know, overall, I agree with you. I really liked the um, the job skill tree that let you choose the different you know squads you could take. I liked choosing which commanders, and I especially liked um, choosing the main squads, two lieutenants, because they give you you know access to different um, uh, different special abilities for your character. And on like Kendall, I swapped out 
one of the main ones for a generic healer so i had access to healing while in battle and that mm. was super powerful yeah no, it's it was fun to play around with and like i said i was saving before each mission so i did a lot of playing around with it when things didn't go quite as i expected um I, I, you know, it's not like I failed every mission. There were some I did first try, but I clearly struggled with it a lot more than James did. Probably because I was trying to play around with the systems more than just trying to find an efficient single combination. But uh, yeah, the the customization was pretty fun to play with and I enjoyed it. It really was. Um, was there anything else in your notes before we gave final thoughts on this game? No, no, no. That's uh, that's pretty much it. Let's move on to final impressions. Uh, you, you can go first this time, Jimmy. All right. So I absolutely do recommend Kingdom Under Fire, The Crusaders. Um, I think that the novelty factor here is excellent. I was blown away by the, you know, how tight the controls were in this game and just how well, um, you know, they made a controller fit a real-time strategy. Uh, even with, you know, the novelty factor aside, I think this game does an astounding job at its strategic elements and having these little squad-based skirmish encounters be interesting throughout the entire duration. I found this game to be supremely engaging, you know, having to switch between my units constantly and switching between this third-person battle was very fun and, you know, I was constantly trying to maximize my APM and trying to do things just a little bit faster every single mission until I finally near the end of the game felt like i had full control over the battlefield it was immensely satisfying to master um, i would absolutely recommend this game um, i think it does a great job of its gameplay um, the story's okay and the graphics and sound or whatever but you know really you're not going to find anything like this anywhere else uh, it's a brilliant game for people who are fans of this medieval fantasy style combat i think uh I think you can pick this up and have a lot of fun. I do not recommend this game, but I will add a massive asterisk to that. I've never felt so guilty about not recommending a game before, except for perhaps F-Zero GX, which I think I would change my mind upon on reflection. But with this game, I think it does many, many things that are really interesting. I think it's the best controller-based RTS I've ever played. I think it's got a fantastic balance of rock, paper, scissors sort of strategic gameplay balanced with um, interesting formational changes. I think that I love the way in which it um, it gives you strategic options in how you develop your squads and uh, what squads you bring along with you and how that can drastically change how the battle plays out. I think the difficulty curve is uh is really is really well done for the most part where it introduces all these this weird control scheme and everything without you know making you crazy uncomfortable and overwhelmed but unfortunately in spite of all these positives the fact remains that you are controlling what is essentially an RTS with a controller and even the best RTS on a controller is going to pale in comparison durability to comfortably control an RTS with mouse and keyboard. So I would recommend you play something like uh, one of the Total Total Warfare games um, over this game any day of the week. I would recommend StarCraft over this game any day of the week. I just do not like this fundamental control scheme. 
you, the listener, may feel different. Maybe you don't have this bias Autism. against uh, <laughs> controllers that I do. Well, I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, i got to be honest about yeah, how I absolutely. feel with these things. And the truth is, if not for the podcast, like I would have stopped playing this game, not because there's anything fundamentally wrong with it, but just because I don't enjoy controlling fucking RTSs with a controller. And that is the long and the short of it. But... If you if that is not a problem for you that I that it is for me, then this may just be the game for you. And if that's not a hang up for you, there's a lot to like and find enjoyable in this game. It's just in good conscience I can't recommend it because I wouldn't have played it without um without having to. So just um just be aware that yeah, I've got a bit of personal bias going into this one. Yeah, I think that's fair enough, honestly. So that was Kingdom Under Fire The Crusaders, um, an excellent title, in my opinion, <laughs> and, uh, you know, a fundamentally flawed one in Patrick's. So that kind of wraps it up for this episode. Patrick, did you want to take it away with I uh... would love to. Um, so we are, of course, the Retrospectors podcast. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to this episode and any others you're listening to. Uh, you can find all of our content on our website, which is very simple. It's rspodcast.net. Not only do we have our fortnightly podcast where we criticize and tear apart and occasionally praise classic games of the past, um, we also write articles. Uh, James and I both recently wrote articles <laughs> related to the nightmare that is Luna Silver Star story that have rather the endearing adventure that is Luna Silver Star story. Let, let's just say they've got rather opposite takes on the value of JRPGs. Uh, so you can go ahead and read that, or many of the other articles that we've written over time. Uh, most importantly, the main way that we engage with our listeners is through our Discord server. It's a text-based Discord server where we discuss old games, new games and shit talk about various other things. As Australians, <laughs> shit talking is very important to us. So we would be delighted if you would drop by and share your opinion, whether it be to praise us for our wisdom and insight or to tear us to shreds for being fucking ignorant idiots. Either or is appreciated and James and I will respond in kind. So please come join our Discord server, join the discussion, recommend a game or criticize our opinion. It's all good to us. So yep, rspodcast.net for all of our um, content and you can find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Speaking of uh, game recommendations, Patrick, what are we playing next fortnight? So we are finally playing a game recommended to me by my good friend Blake uh, quite some time ago. <laughs> finally getting around to it. We're going to do Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. It took me a while to figure out what to do because it feels very strange to play a game that's the second in a trilogy. But after doing... Uh, some research and talking to our discord members fellowship of the ring seems to be a fundamentally different game it's more adventure action adventure whereas two towers and return of the king are the ones which really defines this genre as third person you know kind of brawlers so it'll be very interesting to tackle these games and i get to criticize lord of the rings which i have to say is a rather scary task but i look forward to 
talking about the story of uh, of Lord of the Rings in a uh, professional fashion. <laughs> oh yes, I think it'll be very good. I've played um, the third game, The Return of the King, a lot actually, and ah. I thought it was very good. Um, so I'm interested to see if uh, the second is you know just as enjoyable. Let's hope the brawling is better than uh, than in you know Crusade Crusader Fire Kingdoms or whatever the hell the name of this game is. Thunder <laughs> <Under> Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that about wraps it up. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next fortnight. See yous.